One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories. This is the place where we turn musical memories into heartfelt conversations. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Douglas Malloy. Doug's a criminal defense attorney in downtown Fort Myers, practicing in both federal and state criminal justice systems. He was the chief assistant U.S. attorney for Southwest Florida for 22 years and says he's prosecuted or defended every kind of criminal case from first-degree murder to Colombian drug lords to mafia hitmen to public officials, etc. These days he's continuing his work in the area of human trafficking and has spoken on the topic in many cities in the U.S., as well as in places like Rio, Prague, Buenos Aires, and Moscow for the Department of Justice. He's married to Charity Malloy, a dance teacher for Robin Dawn Academy in Cape Coral. His oldest son, Adam, is a history professor, and he says his youngest son, Max, is killing it in commercial real estate. He's got two grandchildren, Matthew and Taylor, who are, quote, the most impossibly wonderful human beings on the planet, end quote. And last and probably, he would say least, Doug sings, as he wrote, if that's what you can call it, with the local band Alter Ego. I've crossed paths with Doug over the years and have always enjoyed his approach to being, so I'm really looking forward to seeing where this all goes. Hey there, Doug Malloy. Hey, Michael. It's good to see you. How are you doing? I've got no complaints, and it's wonderful to be here. I'm glad to join the illustrious uh, people that you've interviewed before me. I love to say this to people, and you're like the sixth person on the show. It's so great to see you somewhere else besides Publix downtown. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it isn't a day unless I drop by Publix downtown. It's between the office and and home. It's been one of the most disappointing things for me about the social distancing thing is I'm shopping on a weekly basis now instead of a daily basis, and that's where I shop, so, you know. Well, it was good to recognize you because when I'm there, it's sometimes uh, my clients don't like me to say hi to them so to let people know that they've hired a criminal defense attorney. But also, since I grew up here, it might be my Sunday school teacher. It might be somebody I put in jail, somebody I helped get out of jail. So I just give the big hello to everybody. I'm happy I recognized you. Oh, well, I mean, I'm just so happy that you, by the time I'd gotten home from us bumping into each other at Publix and me telling you about this show concept, you had already emailed me two of your song choices. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, music has just been a huge part of my life. And it is one thing that I talk about with, uh, with abandon. Because uh, it has just been a wild and wonderful force in my life. So you grew up here in Fort Myers. What was the musical background of that childhood here in Fort Myers? Well, uh, we I moved from New Jersey, with uh, obviously, with my parents. Uh, when I was about nine, I sang as a soloist with the church choir at Covenant Presbyterian. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was the high point of my singing career. I reached it when I was about 11, singing What Child Is This at a Christmas Eve service. Uh, Dr. Robinson, uh, Dr. David Robinson, who helped found uh, uh, Edison, now Florida, Southwest College, was the uh, choir director, and he heard me sing and put a robe on me, and that's uh, so I became part of first uh, the youth choir, then the adult choir, and that was the start of what uh, one could probably, with a great deal of humility, call my singing career, probably 
closer to the truth my performing career straight from uh youth choir to alter ego <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah we'll get to that later straight, we'll get... from, straight from christmas eve service to honky-tonk woman yeah yeah we'll get to that later <laughs> that's a little foreshadowing um so what about like music being played around you you know your family at home what was going on there well, um, I grew up in a time where you're, you were either a Beatles or a Stones person. I was a Stones person, uh, which uh, I liked pretty much any music my parents didn't, and that kind of guaranteed that. What did they like at that time? Um, well, my dad used to work for RCA up in New York City, and so he'd bring home interesting music uh, and interesting, actually interesting comedy albums as well. That's where I first heard Lenny Bruce and, and different other things that, that helped form who I am. But um, it was they were more new Christian minstrels and uh, up with people and um, scrubbed clean music, which of course meant that I loved <laughs> everything that was not that. And then uh, when I was in high school, uh, uh, my friend Jimmy had a '68 Impala that sat about 12 people in it and an eight-track player. And so uh, he was the one that introduced me to a lot of music when we were driving, uh, driving around Fort Myers trying to stay out of trouble. Uh, an eight-track player. You, I think you're maybe our first actual eight-track player in the car. I mean, I know there's been some home eight-track players, but the, the car eight-track was a real <laughs> sweet spot there. Yeah, you know, you had to put it in just right, and then you had to use matches to make sure that it had the right trajectory. And it would skip tracks, so you had to, you had to be nimble. To make right. sure that you heard the, right. the the songs that you wanted to hear. But he's really the one. He, he had an older brother who introduced him and then introduced me to uh, a lot of things that were exciting and happening on the music scene in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. And, uh, and then, you know, from there it just opened up whole new worlds in terms of everybody from uh, Billy Joel, Stevie Wonder, um, to big guitar sound from uh, from uh, the beach kind of contingent, and plus whatever was happening, you know, with the uh, British invasion. Uh, you went to Fort Myers High School, I presume. I did. What I would did. have been the, like the hit song your senior year if you could try to hit song my senior year was "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road." Uh, it was a theme for prom. Uh, we went back and forth since we were politicized between "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road" and "The World Is a Ghetto." But we figured the Goodbye Yellow Brick Road would have uh, probably better decks for decorations for prom. Better, yeah, thematically. Thematically, yes. <laughs> uh, um, what were your grandparents listening to? Do you remember that? Uh, my uh, grandparents were very much into the classical uh, classical music. Um, so I did get some, some taste of that as well. Uh, my grandfather actually died at, at a relatively early age for him, so I never really knew him as well as I knew my grandmother. But she was very much into classical, and as people were at that time of that age, Lawrence Welk and music that soothed the elder soul. Right, right. It's a good way to put it. Um, you mentioned singing in the choir. Do you? Did you play any instruments? I've been. Uh, the the short answer is. No. The longer answer is I've been allowed to play with... Uh, uh, allowed? Uh, I've, <laughs> I've been allowed to play uh, when I, I've been lucky enough to be part of Alter Ego, as you mentioned, a band that's been in uh, Southwest Florida for about about 20 years now. Um, I've been allowed to play things that one would be allowed to play in 
uh, a kindergarten uh, band or like a wood, kindergarten. Wood blocks. Wood blocks, um, <laughs> uh, cowbell, Get tambourine, recorder. Tam- recorder. <laughs> those type of things I've been allowed to play. I, I, I play a mean tambourine. Um, I could see that. And uh, it's part of selling the song, you know, the enthusiasm. There was a period of time where I was allowed to play the congas, uh, but my permit on that was revoked because of my enthusiasm for the congas. <laughs> Every song started to have a conga solo. So, uh, so, and also people, uh, who, they see these bright red big con- congas up there that they, they uh, have, when we play bars, have reached a place on their... Uh, level of uh, intoxication that they believe that they can play congas better than me. And that they deserve to. And that they deserve to. So, um, like, the, so like the siren call of the congas. That's right. It is exactly the siren I've call of the congas. That. And feel no compunction uh, since we uh, started out as a bar band and still still like uh, playing lounges. The Feel no compunction about getting up on stage and elbowing me out of the way. Um, I really didn't have a problem with that, but the true musicians on stage did. And so uh, so my conga privileges were revoked, and I'm back to solid tambourine playing. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, if you try to think back as far as you can, is there an early musical memory that flashes into your mind first that just takes you back somehow? The first musical memory that I have is uh, listening to Inner Visions with uh, Stevie Wonder, the... I, I know that's a little advanced on the first, but most of the music that uh, was part of me was really kind of a rebellious part, and so I didn't like the music as much as I liked the rebellion. Uh, Inner Visions was, by Stevie Wonder was just this incredible album. We played it over and over and over on uh, on the eight-track uh, of a player in the car, and you came away with a sense of how much how bigger music was first of all, than, uh, than any particular genre because it transcended genre. Um, and also that the, the lyrics started to have an impact other than just angry, I can't get no satisfaction. Hmm. Uh, first music you owned? First music I owned was, oh my, was Eric Clapton, um, just coming out of Cream, solo album, um, and John Mayall did a rhythm of blues period where I just thought, for one thing, I could sing it. It didn't require a lot, uh, <laughs> vocal skill-wise. And for another thing, it was just, it was kind of, it felt like part of a continuum. And I was lucky enough to hook on to rhythm and blues and understand it and, and be excited by it knowing that it kind of laid the foundation for people like the Almond Brothers and, and different groups that took it different places. Would that have been vinyl? It would have been vinyl. Ma's Brothers uh, uh, record Ma's store. Brothers. They had a little record section up there, which I flipped through longly, long and hungrily. The second was Leon Russell, which uh, probably gave me a sense of how fun it must be to perform, uh, you know, w- uh, like with with abandon, wildly. Right. And really get into the music. And then third album was probably Joe Cocker's With a Little Help for My Friends, which took that to another level where you were actually 
I believe, displaying your inner turmoil on on stage. Uh, That is not as attractive to audiences as you might think it might be. Right. So uh, they want to dance and they want to make sure that you're having a good time. So that's what we project from the stage when I play with uh, Alter Ego. GC, did you ever spend any time at the record bar? Oh, yeah. A lot of time at the record bar, a lot of time. uh, Because it was kind of, I mean, when I I moved here in 1982, I guess it was, or 81, um, that was like the only music store in town that I was aware of. It was the music store. Mm -hmm. There's no question about that. There was, uh, and then CD Exchange right up here on Daniels, and when that became popular. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was at uh, University of Florida, they had the communist record store, which you're, where you could sell your albums back to them, uh-huh. and that's how I financed uh, probably my first romance. That's where I got my dating money was selling all of them, the albums because uh, I was putting myself through school, so I knew exactly how much money I had. And to date, uh, what you needed was cash, so yeah, yeah. I took advantage of the communist record store quite a bit. You know Jeff McCullers? Of course. He, 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 he had a similar story, sort of, about trading and selling records at University of Florida. <laughs> yeah, I listened to your interview of him, and uh, he mentioned his time in 4-H. And actually, when I was a senior in high school, I was president of 4-H for Florida. Wow. 75,000 people. It ain't all cows and cooking. Uh, you know, and it's also veggies these days. My daughter was in the Veg Heads through 4-H, mm-hmm. and she was the president in 7th and 8th grade of her Ooh. local Veg Heads chapter. These are th- these are honors that don't fade. I s- I won a best dance contest at Fort Myers Rec. Um, uh, the best male dancer when I was in sixth grade, and if I held onto that certificate, it would be framed and placed in my office. Because ever since then, my dancing has been derided. <laughs> okay, it is time. I'm just trying to get that the image of you as a sixth grader winning a dance competition uh, out of my head. Yeah. Scrub it clean. Okay, yeah. it's time for your first, uninhibited. Time for your first song. Okay, the, the first song uh, actually is a Stevie Wonder song from Filling, "Fulfilling This Is First Finale," and if you listen to the lyrics, it's actually a celebratory song, and but it's just celebrating something that is one would not think. This is about a relationship that is ending. The guy is still in love. Uh, The girl has found someone else. But if you listen to it, first of all, the horns punctuate it, so they give it the added oomph. But it is a song that says, life goes on, and don't take yourself so seriously. And that is a lesson that I think is good to learn, not only in relationships, but in life. So when you bump through different girlfriends, as one does, uh, I didn't in high school. I had one girlfriend. But uh, when you see people around you, you know, having their hearts broken, he kind of addresses it directly. And he does it with so much uh, power and fun. It's undeniably a, uh, a way of saying, um, like I said, don't take yourself so serious, son. Life ain't permanent. So did, did that um did that was that immediately apparent to you when you listened to it when you were younger or is that I mean is it that obvious in the song or did you have to sort of learn some lessons to see that lesson in the song? Well, I love this song uh, musically. It has uh, a fantastic musicality. There's all kinds of things going on in there. There's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of congas. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things going on in there. But as you listen to the lyrics, you you're not you're trying to match them up 
with the celebration of life that the song is, and it goes, for you, there might be another star. And, um, but in my mind, uh, the light of you is all I see. And you go, wait a second, what, what, are, what are we doing here? And we're breaking up, but it's a way of saying, happy for you, uh, still crazy about you, but life goes on, and the emphasis is on happy for you. Shall we? Let's do it. All right, this is Another Star by Stevie Wonder from his 1976 album Songs in the Key of Life. You play a mean air piano. Yeah. <laughs> well, luckily, luckily, that's all. Uh, I would tell you, though, you know, if you get into how wonderful that song is, and, you know, it's a long time that the musician, musicians are having a great time up there. And I like to think it's carrying you through whatever heartache you might feel. And by the time you hit the middle and the, you know, the horns are going crazy, the congas are going crazy, everybody's going crazy. You go, what was all that about? Meaning, what was all that heartache about? I'm in, it's, I'm in to the song and, oh yeah, this is what feeling good feels like again. And so I think that's why the the second uh, half of the song is so important because I think that's what music really can do. It's take you away. And it can change the very quanti- quality of your day and and just give it just a little magic. And so I'm having that song, uh, much to my wife's chagrin, played at my funeral, and I want a long conga line on the way out. Really? <laughs> yes. it, you're being serious. Oh, yeah. I want that out because by the time they get out, I want people to be able to go following that conga line on the way out, and that music, they'll go, uh, who died? <laughs> and I want that. I want that, you know, like... Oh, yeah, yeah, we were at a funeral. I want that. Huh. Um, You know, I was listening to it through the lens of 76, you know, coming out of the 60s music and then disco. And then with that, and, you know, it's got a little little slight disco flavor to it. But 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 it's so big and different. And and like you said, it's it's boisterous, but serious and Mm -hmm. all those things, you know. Yeah. And yeah. And you hear his voice start to ride over on top of all that music. And. Uh, it does bring together a lot of different styles. I mean, obviously, there's some salsa, there's some disco in there. Yeah, I think it'd be impossible not to conga or conga line or dance too. And if anybody at my funeral does not get part of the conga line, um, they wandered in the wrong funeral. Um, when was the last time you sat down and listened to it, especially like with good studio headphones on? You know, um, it's been a bit, uh, but I did. Uh, print out the lyrics to make sure that I remember what the song said. <laughs> confirm you, what yeah, you just, thought you just knew? Just to confirm that. Um, but uh, I loved hearing it again. Did you ever see uh, Stevie Wonder play live? I have. Um, I think, uh, you know, I think he brings uh, so much to the table. I saw him in over in Hollywood when they used to have the Sunrise Bowl. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was a fantastic experience um, in, you know, a wonderful, great feeling, great musicianship uh, sense. That's not always why you go to concerts. You know, I went to a saliva concert and had just as good a time because it was insane. It was broken glass on the floor. It was, you know, it was just <laughs> intense. I'm going to take a second to enjoy 
that you went to a saliva concert. <laughs> well, I don't know saliva except in my mouth. Uh, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> there was a lot of it that wasn't in your mouth. On, on you know, on people getting intense. Who um, else was, who else it was. It? it was here. Uh, they had uh, saliva was here when they were experimenting with different dance things, um, and uh, the energy was was real, incredible. I've seen. Um, I. I would just tell you that when you have a concert experience, you know, let's say like Saliva or, you know, uh, Akon or, or different people that I've seen in, in different venues, some on purpose. Uh, <laughs> saliva was <laughs> Saliva was on purpose. It uh, was or wasn't? It was. Oh. Um, you can it, – it expands you. And, uh, you know, the, the genres that, that music has sometimes been pigeonholed to, I don't think they mean anything anymore. You know, really, what is a country western song when it's been fused into pop or what? You know, I like the fact that that music uh, defies labeling, especially when it has some meaning to the listener. Um, best concert you saw while you were in Gainesville? Best concert I saw when I was at Gainesville was Jimmy Buffett. Oh. Now, uh, my wife is a parrothead, but I... Um, and I've taken Charity to a Buffett concert, and she loved it. The reason it was the best concert that I saw when I was in Gainesville, um, I like his music okay, but it was like two minutes before he hit and uh, became this huge star. And, I mean, the tickets were like $3. Yeah, you got to see him <laughs> before he knew who he was going to be. Yeah, and so there was only unapologetic uh untrumpeted really fun music and two days later you know come monday was on the was on the charts uh the worst concert i ever saw was crosby stills dash and young because i saw that uh when i was up there but that was because somebody shot a bottle rocket off during one of the acoustic songs and stephen stills came out and he was pissed and said, you're the worst concert audience we've ever played to, um, and uh, just went into a really intense uh, guitar thing to let us know how angry he was. And uh, it's, you know, <laughs> when when the performers are mad at you, you know, <laughs> yeah. as, you, know you want to go, I didn't shoot off the bottle rocket, but uh, when the performers are, it's... It, a, a lot of the concert stuff has to do with the rapport with what's going on stage. What about Tom Petty? Seems like Tom Petty might be, there might be some love in that heart for Tom Petty. There is a lot of love because he's a Gainesville boy. Yeah. And um, I like him for political reasons, not his politics, one thing in a national stage. But when Tom was very big after Hard Promises and, and some of his other things, um, he was ticked off at how people were getting music. And he really took a stand in terms of, you know, uh, how his music was being sold, how much his music was being sold for, got involved in his concert ticket type of things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I like not having to live like a refugee or do different things that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that he... He's who I've seen most. Uh, is, he's, he's who I saw most. I saw him five times, I think, which they were always good. Um, how do you listen to music these days? Um, almost always in the car. Um, I have Spotify, um, and the buttons, um, 
I, I must confess, I seem to be playing the same playlist over and over again, even though that's not what I want to do. So what I do <laughs> is, is uh, I still listen to CDs. I may be uh, one of the five people on the planet that still listens to CDs and still actually orders CDs. Hmm, I do, too. Oh, okay. You're two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, but it's, it's, it's mostly in the car. Um, I will, uh, let's say, well, today, I'm planning on working from about four until eight. Um, my wife teaches dance. She has a dance recital, and uh, the music will be off an iPod. In earbuds, then? Uh, no. No. Just so, in one of those players that converts it, and it's right, just right, out. Right. And it's a, a real productive time, and it's um, while it might be somewhat in the background, um, you know, if you have, a, uh, you know, a whole bunch of songs that are on your playlist and they don't repeat each other, uh, I consider that a victory when I'm listening to music. Hmm. Uh, so you were Chief Assistant U.S. Attorney for Southwest Florida. Explain what that means in simple terms. In simple terms, um, the United States is divided up into districts. Uh, there's a U.S. attorney for each district. Um, that's a presidential appointee. Uh, we happen to be in the middle district of Florida, which goes from Fort Myers, a kind of a swath through the state up to Jacksonville, and uh, with satellite offices in Fort Myers, uh, Jacksonville, Orlando, and Ocala. And I was in charge of the U.S. Attorney's Office here, working for 13 various U.S. attorneys during the 22 years I did that. Um, and we prosecuted all federal crimes. And those federal crimes go everything from Hate crimes and public and police corruption, all the way to major drug traffickers, to environmental crimes, uh, child pornography. And that is the good work that's still going on. I, um, I'm very proud of the work that we did during that time and very proud of the work they're doing now. Did uh, music or lyrics or musicians or songs or something like that ever worm their way into any of those cases that you can recall? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was there was a drug dealer who used to fly into the uh, Keys uh, who, uh, when the Keys were a lot more deserted, that used to blare uh, Rambling Man like he was something out of Apocalypse Now when he would come in to deliver Coke from Columbia. And so... Sounds that, like Saltwater Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but you see, he was one. He didn't see it. You know, he... he uh, and so I used the lyrics from Smuggler's Blues uh, from Glenn Fry from the Eagles song. And you don't get too cute with a jury, but if, if you know, at that time when I was prosecuting, if a defense attorney uh, decided to use lyrics, you always had lyrics in your head to play back. Um, I also had much longer hair and an earring when I prosecuted over on the East Coast when I was chief assistant statewide prosecutor. In Miami, because uh, you know the drug dealers would come in and they would look like insurance salesmen, and I didn't, and I was a prosecutor. Over on this coast, the earring didn't play all that well. So, that's... could you still get an earring into the hole in your ear? Is it gone? Now? No, no. <laughs> and I think the uh, <laughs> my family, as if one would cry, no, not again. <laughs> um, so you, you should do it, Doug. Come on, bring, <laughs> grow that hair out, and just pop well, the earring in I, there. I've told my grandchildren, who one is soon to be seven, uh, Matthew and Taylor, who's four year old. I've told them that I'm a pirate. 
And so uh, I haven't told them differently yet. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that would go with a persona. Still a, pilot, a pirate, yeah, pirate yeah. Doug so, Malloy. Yeah, that's right. Like professionally, they think yeah. that's what you do for Well, it? I'm pretty sure the seven-year-old has kind of outgrown that, but I've been kind of vague with a four-year-old as to whether I'm an actual pirate or not. I love that. You know, you, you sound like a pirate. Well, um, yeah, but I think, uh, you know, as far as sea chanties on, when like you had May Comer on, we don't do, I sing Stevie Wonder. That I'm not sure that that's the pirate way right. to go. But you know, I just realized there's a, there's a parallel to um, Hook. The, because <laughs> yeah. because when, he's, when, when they say, what do you do? And he says, I'm a lawyer. Right? Yeah. And she says, Peter, you've become a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to think that uh, for the good that in the area that I've chosen to practice in criminal law. I've been doing criminal law over 30 years now that there is room for some piracy. Um, uh, do, do, do your, did your kids or your grandkids play music, like music musicians? Oh, yeah. uh, no, uh, they just had a love of it. You oh, know. so no, like there's no guitarists in your family or whatever. Uh, no, just uh, crisscross will make you jump, jump. Daddy Mac will make you jump, jump. I went through all the different stages that they enjoyed their music. Of course, mindful of the fact that if I thought it was cool, that it would probably drop their playlist. So uh, my oldest son, um, Adam, uh, he went through his cool modi, um, you know, old 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 style rap, and uh, tried to convince me one time that Slash was the greatest guitarist that ever lived. And uh, <laughs> the, Richard, where, 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 <laughs> Richard, um, Richard can okay. reflect on that. Um, I there. I'll put it this way: there are guitarists whose guitar work I like better. Slash might be the best person who is also a lead guitarist. He's he's just he's like a he's like a an old wives' tale of a person. Like he he's just right. he's nice. He's strong. He plays well. He. He, he's got all that hair. He's got all the hair. He's got the hat. Did you know, <laughs> he's got a hat. He's got a hat. And he's That's got all I know about him is the a hat fashion sense of you know wearing the vest with no shirt that I don't think I was ever able to pull off, and and I'm pretty sure will will not try. He's probably like the coolest guy that plays guitar at that level that that could also just stop playing guitar at that level and hang out with people. Um, yeah, he's not insane. I don't. I don't think. <laughs> as far as I can tell. <laughs> you know, I had just one time when at a charity benefit, um, a chance after war, after the benefit was over to actually uh, impromptu sing with uh, someone from ACDC, someone from Leonard Skinner, uh, someone uh, from another southern rock band, which escapes me. And all stage, those guys still like to play. And they weren't mm-hmm. assholes. They were fantastic. And they said, "Come on, you know, you know, sing with us. You sing." And I go, "No, I perform. I don't really <laughs> sing all that well." But I sang with them while they just fooled around on the on the guitar. And if you had to say, I guess that was the penultimate experience that I had to be considered, you know, if just for that, you know, forty five minutes you know, cooling off period of time after they really performed, you know, part of it. But I don't I don't really have any uh, illusions about how well I sing. I do sell a song. I do perform. But I'm about as good as any sixth person in the phone book about the singing range. <laughs> I'm imagining then karaoke is in your wheelhouse. Uh, only when I'm told to by the people that I am with at, in that circumstance 
because uh, karaoke uh, organizers and owners, you know, whether it be on a cruise ship or something like that, they can spot somebody who has sung before. They don't want you. They want somebody that's not polished, that's funny, that's half in the bag or whatever. That's the person that they want. So I try and downplay that as much as possible. Is there any alter ego on the Internet we could play right now? <laughs> yes. I don't, wait, I don't know. I don't. I really don't know. AlterEgoBand.net uh, was the uh, the E. I'm sorry. I don't know if it has uh, selections on there. Well, there's only one way to find out. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Take a look. That's right. We're hey, we can edit this, right? <laughs> we won't. Uh, we won't. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, no, no. If you know, I want you to hear me sing "Good Golly, Miss Molly." Um, well, that's or, a lot of people. Which one's you? Um, oh, there you are. Sorry, there's so many people. There's so many faces. Alter Ego has had this wonderful evolution of having four or five people being the core of it. Uh, Todd Caruso, Tracy Caruso. Um, well, and, I, and they're, they're, I will also point out, though, that you've got this wonderful beard right now. And the, on the, on the, the off, big yeah. band picture in the front, you do not have it. Well, if that means that picture was taken before um, I started dating my uh, my wife because she doesn't, <laughs> she gotta have the beard. She gotta have the beard. Likewise, that's uh, yeah, in our house. It's, as well. Yeah, all right. Then you understand the rule. Yeah. Um, there's, I I think I only sing. Uh, Make sure it's not a one. Devil in the blue dress or good golly, uh, Miss Molly on that on the sample. I don't even know if they have samples anymore. It was wonderful at first because we were an oddity. I'm looking at some tambourine playing. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> oh. I can hear it. Well, you see, you got the horn section, so you got to have some earth, wind, and fire. Oh, this is downtown, right in front of the big ball in the, in the patio de Leon. Well, like I said, there are many people that float through oh, the Oh, you bay. are an enthusiastic <laughs> you know tambourinist. You. If, if your it, theory is. You got to sell the song. Oh yeah. Oh good lord. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not you singing though. I'm gonna look for one more second. Wow, uh, it's got to be rough, and that's that's why it's unlikely if it's on the site. Uh, no, this is on YouTube. That was on YouTube. Yeah. Oh. Somebody put that on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the only one. Yeah, well. That's okay. The, yeah. We got we got some flavor there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you got those horns, and it really changes what the band can offer. We do Chicago all the way up through. You know, we even do, you know, with apologies to Bruno Mars, some of that, because um, you got those horns. I've I've actually been really excited to see horns return to modern like pop and and a little bit of rock music. Let me butt myself a little bit here. I've been I've been happy to see the return of horns to modern pop and some of the rock music as well because honestly like it's such a great like array of instrumentation um i i actually think that that's part of why i don't know if you remember a few years ago um when daft punk oh yeah they swept they just like they just won all oh, yeah of, they won all the grammys everybody's going what the heck i think it's because they were just like we're going to do an album and it's going to be disco like and it's going to be great yeah, and the best of whatever genre makes it, tra it tra like I said before, transcends the genre. And you could hear on that Stevie Wonder song the horns just punctuating it, you know, making sure that they got it. And if you have those horns, you know, it opens up. We've And we've had great horn players. That's uh, uh, Dr. Tony Fransway. That's why it's called Alter Ego. Everybody's got a real job. Um, 
but uh, we've had musicians that have that have actually won Grammys. Randy Thomas sat in with us for a while and um, to play with a band. It's just it's the energy. Right on. Um, it's time for your second song, Doug right. Boy. How about this? Without too much, this one uh, has a lot less energy. I mean, it has a lot of energy. It's just yeah. different kind of energy. But this is uh, a place that we come to, uh, and if we allow uh, a song into our heart, this is a place that we come to that I'd rather have uh, folks listen to first. And it has to do with choices. And it has to do with how you're going to be out there. Who is the person that you're going to be? And this is Dire Straits, um, Love Over Gold. Uh, Yeah, from their 1982 album of the same name. You know, there's there's an insistence in this song, um, you know, again, the second part, almost without lyrics, but there's an insistence on the song that you examine the things you do. You know, um, I probably played uh, this song um, that a number of pivotal times in my life. Um, my old son, Adam, and my youngest son, Max, are, are Max, are, by the way, a graduate of FGCU. Does commercial real estate now. Um, Did they, you say you call him a rock star or something? Uh, um, your, I, your bio had something very specific about how good he is at it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is a rock star at commercial real estate. Yes, him and Alex Henderson. The, uh, the thing that I would tell you that... Uh, you know, they've always heard me say, uh, and I'm a big believer in long walks because it's hard to run away from dad when he feels that he's got, you know, something to say, is that you have to examine your life. You have to, and that's what this song is saying. And that second half is it comes back in a little harder than the than the beautiful tones because it's saying, no, you you got to join back. You can't live the ephemeral life. You have to put what you say and how you believe into some kind of action. And I think a lot of our decisions uh, have to do with that simple choice. Uh, Love over gold, or gold over love. Now, obviously, it can't always be one or the other, because you'll end up rich and miserable, or or, uh, madly in love and have no money for dates. But um, I don't mean to make little of it. It is how much love um, that you can put into every day. And the, you know, that answer is, is, is our path. And, you know, we do throw our love to strangers, the people that we fall in love with are strangers to us uh, and always will be in some sense. There's also that line of uh, caution to the wind, throwing caution to the wind about uh, doing what you know you need to do. You said you had a couple pivotal times when you listened to this song. Can you reflect on that? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, choosing what area of law to go in. You know, I went in because, I, I, you know, like most idealistic people, uh, wanting to make a difference. And so, um, you know, uh, criminal lawyers uh, are make a nice living, but they— are uh, among the least paid of all <laughs> lawyers, uh, quite possibly because their job is really interesting. Um, but you make decisions as, as to what you're going to do with your life experience and also in, in personal relationships. Um, are you going to be there at your, well, at, at your kid's game? Are you going to be at, not just at the office. I mean, that's an easy parallel because, you know, 
if you're good at what you do, you do have to put in hours, but you got to make sure that there is that balance there. And if you have a choice, I think what the song is saying is uh, you might want to choose love over gold because that kind of ends. If you choose gold over love all the time, you're kind of like the Washington Travelers playing the Harlem Globetrotters. You're always going to end up on the losing side. So uh, what I'm suggesting is when you get there, the song does have an answer for you. We have, uh, I was introduced to a, a musician out of Canada. His name's John Brooks. I'm going to send you his album so you can listen to it because I think you'll really appreciate him. But one of his songs, which we've t- used on this show before, the, the t- maybe the title, but certainly the refrain is, if it's not love, we can't take it when we go. And I think that is this. Well, yeah, uh, it's, and it, it, it's not as um, possibly romantic as it might sound because those choices are often hard to make. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that, you know, when you go walking through doorways, you don't know what the day's going to hold, but you do know what you can bring to it. You do know how you can approach it. It's the only control you got. Um, I first got to know you a little bit through the show that we do on ra- on radio, Gulf Coast Live, because of your job as the attorney. But uh, then I got to know you better through the film festival when you would come in and you would do this little sort of Doug Malloy song and dance, <laughs> I would call it. Yes, that's right. <laughs> can, you, uh, can you describe the, the Doug Malloy song and dance? Uh, yes, which uh, I, for, which the I film, for the film festival. <laughs> yes. um, for the Monday nights. For the Monday nights. Uh, Eric Raddatz, who, of course, started the Four Myers Film Festival, had, had talked with me about... Uh, just having a brief portion of the program where I explored uh, different ways of looking at movies that you've seen and turning you on to different movies that you may not have. Uh, but really more um, exploring how you feel about what you see and why you feel that way. Um, so I graduated from the University of Florida undergrad with a degree in film. Magna Cum Laude, and of course Hollywood, you know, rightfully ignored that. Uh, <laughs> not a lot of University of Florida film graduates at that time, you know. But I, I was always writing about movies. I, I, I wrote about movies. That was uh, what I did, and I did some film reviews in Miami. So I, I've loved uh, love movies for a long time, especially. My parents worked uh, downtown, and after school, they didn't know what to do with me, so there were three movie theaters, and they plunked me down in there from what is now called middle school on uh, as a babysitter, and I loved it, and it's been a passion that I've had for a real long time. And so Eric allowed me a little um, a little way of showing an insight into, like I said, movies that you've seen before, but also uh, things that are worth seeing that are different. Uh, what would be an important movie to you when you were younger? Uh, I would say probably one of the most important movies to me when I was younger was The Wild Bunch. Hmm. And it had to do with a code, having an honor code, but an outdated one. It also changed that particular movie and the movies that were made in 68, 69. Changed the way we see movies forever because uh, Sam Peckinpah was the director and he had to cut every seven seconds. That was the average. So you were seeing things without actually, instead of just one long shot of people talking. And so the reactions were more abrupt. And also, uh, I think 
de-romanticized uh, violence in movies. And I think it started people in a different way of remaking Westerns and therefore remaking history. Uh, favorite movie of yours that would be considered a musical? I would have to say um, probably all that jazz. Um, but, but I've liked, what I really like is musical numbers that show up in movies that are great that aren't musicals. An example would be Clerks 2, where there's, uh, you know, this craziness where everybody dances in unison um, just out of nowhere. Or The Breakfast Club, uh, where they're dancing. Those are the, the moments that we look for that are really kind of magic and unexpected. Um, I uh, liked all that jazz because uh, it really talks about how difficult it is to be a dancer. And my wife has... Dance for Disney was a ballet, uh, worked for the Heidelberg Ballet. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess it may be important for me to know how hard dancers work, what they do to their, what they do creatively, and the sacrifices their body has to make for that. What about musicals on stage? The musicals I've seen on stage, I saw Hamilton and was just looking at the people around me going, are you seeing this? I mean, are you liking this? Because I'm liking this. Are you seeing this? <laughs> <laughs> I felt the same way about Book of Mormon. You know, I'm, uh, you know, bringing radical ideas in a very traditional format. You know, I'm looking, are they going to walk out? I mean, that's that's a real question you should ask when you attend Barbara B. Band regularly. You see Book of Mormon, are they going to walk out? I experienced exactly that. Like, you know, some people have season tickets. You know, the the wife drags the husband. <laughs> Suddenly, they're like, "What is this?" Is, that- <laughs> yay! Hey, I think uh, you know the MF word was in there, and I think that was the title of the song. And but with Hamilton, you know, you expect people to turn to somebody, and it goes real fast at the start, and you got to catch that train and i know it's it's very popular to talk about how wonderful and revolutionary it is doesn't make it any less wonderful or revolutionary huh uh if you were a championship wrestler what song would you come in on oh i would think um i'd probably underplay and uh probably come in on something like uh help i need somebody help not just anybody (laughs) help um, as opposed to some kind of triumphant Rocky theme. I'd want to be the underdog coming in. Okay, you won a sixth grade dance, dance competition. <laughs> Do you dance now? Not at, other than at weddings. Uh, I what what is might be called dancing. Uh, I leave. It's not really dancing. It's uh, singing in synchronization with the band. When I dance, uh, remember, if you are married to someone who teaches young ladies dance and has danced all her life, you are going to fall far short of any expectation she might have had. Um, So my dancing is confined to making fun of how I dance. So I dance self-consciously to make fun of how I dance. You meta dance. (laughs) Yeah. And those moves look great if you're laughing at them. Yeah, you just get out in front of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got it. You, uh, that's right. You sell it. You get out in front of it, and you go, yeah, you know, uh, this is how uh, middle-aged guys dance. You I know, saw or... you with that tambourine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, okay, Doug, it's time for your third song. We are here. All right, this third song, and this is a, an older song, but it really had some meaning to m- me when 
if you, if you listen to it this way, um, this is a love song, but it also says it's kind of ironic in that, you know, if you should ever leave me, life would still go on. Believe me. And he, then he talks about what life would be like without her. But, I listened to it uh, headed up to the Blue Ridge Mountains. Uh, the windows were down. And it's, you know, it's the Beach Boys who I like. But this song is about, to me, what happens when that elusive butterfly of peace of mind actually lands on you and stays for a while. You've got, you're going through the back roads of Florida. It's beautiful out. You're with the person that you love you know, beyond measure, and she's smiling, and her eyes are alight, and she's singing, and she is not making fun of your singing, because you're both singing together, and it's just a moment that says, love is bigger than you. Love, you know, you hear a lot about love unifies us all. When you have that moment, and I really do think that that's a lot to what the song is about, it's... um it is, I've said, transcendent before. It is one of the biggest purposes you could ever have when you're getting out of bed in the morning. And this moment, driving, it was about 7 o'clock in the morning. Sun's just coming up. This familiar song comes on the radio. You're with the person of your dreams and headed toward the beauty that has been given to you uh, to enjoy each day and maybe just listen to this song that you've heard a hundred times before with that in mind. All right, uh, Beach Boys, Wouldn't It Be Nice from their 1966 album, Pet Sounds. That was a really nice picture you painted, Doug. I, I, I was there with you. What kind of car was that? That was, um, well, I would like to say that it was a black Mustang, which I had for a real long time, but it was in uh, my grandpa car because you have to get car seats in the back of it sometimes. <laughs> so it was, in a, it was in a black Ford. I'm sorry, a black Jeep Patriot. Uh, but while not as romantic, it felt like the black Mustang that I drove forever. Oh, what year Mustang? Um, boy, I should be able to answer that right off the top of my head. Uh, it was not a classic but i think it was like a 95 somewhere in there okay i'm not so much a car guy but you know all i wanted was something that looked like bullet uh steam mcqueens oh, and bullets it's a 68 yeah i know Ooh. but you know that's that was good enough <laughs> <laughs> um uh, uh uh are there any bands or musicians that you really like that you think our listeners would not be aware of that you want to talk about um i think that uh Actually, some of the people that were profiled on the show, so I'll tell them to go back into the archives. But um, there's some exciting sounds that are that are that are really found on soundtracks, and it's a re-exploration of like the big guitar beat sound that are found in Quentin Tarantino's movies. Mm. Um, go back and explore those, and even though they are made contemporaneously, you know, now they're new um, or or revisiting, they still have that same excitement and that same power. A lot of stuff going on in gospel right now. Hmm. And and when I say that, I'm not just talking about, it, it, more about joy and fun in terms of living each day. And, you know, that uh, for people who might have difficulty thinking that's church music, well, yeah, it's church music, but it's also about life and love and excitement. 
And uh, the only other thing that um, that that I've been following right now is is trying to stay current enough uh, for my son so they don't think that I've lapsed into Lawrence Welk soul uh, music that suits the elder soul, as I think I put it before. You did put it that way. Um, uh, any like current bands that you're following because of that or whatever, like. Um, or musicians or bands or acts or whatever? Uh, I think the... Uh, I'm afraid you're going to have to get rid of this one because it makes me look stupid, but uh, the, <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> um, the answer is no, uh, only because uh, when I'm, unfortunately for the past, uh, unfortunately for the past three months, I've been listening to nothing but news mm-hmm. about... and. Only so I can get a feel for what's going on there. I mean, when you actually are turning on the television uh, to find out if the world's still on fire at night, um, you know, and and thinking about not only how, you know, I'm, I'm worried that in, with COVID-19 that we're all just going to pick ourselves up, brush ourselves off like nothing happened. And I'm I'm happy in regard to the civil unrest now that I don't think that's going to happen. I have to believe in change. And so when I'm saying that, I'm saying that maybe I would have gotten solace from music. But right now, I don't want solace. I still want to be uh, on fire about uh, the civil unrest. Um, and, uh, you know, part of that protest... I've been in law enforcement for a real long time. Yeah, I was going to say. And, you know, that's something that's always been a source of shame. Um, the vast majority of, of of people in law enforcement I met are good people. But you can't, this, this can, ah, boy, I'm sorry about the politics, but this can never get out of the spotlight. Never again out of the spotlight. The treatment of uh, black males in the criminal justice system. So at this point in time, I don't want to be soothed. You have a favorite band of all time? By the way, we got to leave that in, even though the par- first part of it made you look stupid, as you said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. The last part of it. All right. All right. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I think uh, my favorite band of all time uh, would be Morris Day and the Time. Wow. And I choose Morris Day and the Time because, first of all, they are the best dance band to just go crazy on the dance floor with. I love the personalities. I love the showmanship. And it keeps me from having to pick a real band. <laughs> if you could if you could get up and shake your tambourine with any band, living or dead, who would it be? Oh, probably uh, if I was allowed to play a tambourine with any particular band. You know... You wouldn't just be allowed. You'd be invited. You'd be the world's best tambourineer. <laughs> well, they'd, then they'd all have been high. And <laughs> so I would probably want to play the tambourine with Billy Joel. And the reason why is he's always chosen great people to back him up, fantastic people. And he's out there selling songs um, like Springsteen, another hero, where you go in and sometimes that concert lasts three, four hours because they're having a great time. And Joel's got a story for everything, and he was, as he should be, a big part of everybody's romantic life uh, in one form or another. But I, those guys are having a good time up there. 
Uh, what album have you spent the most time listening to? Mm, probably the most time listening to would be uh, Billy Joel's The Stranger, just over the years. Hmm. Um, what was your process for choosing your songs? Because I know you had, like I said, I was not lying when I said the two first two popped into your head. And you weren't even aware of the show concept yet. I explained it to you, and then that happened. Well, yeah. And then immediately, yes, you're right, within moments, I was aware of the show content <laughs> I got, by finding it. Then, um, I chose those because you said, look, I think this was the intro that you gave it. Think about songs that mean something more than um, your senior prom. And I said, well, that's pretty easy to do. The difficulty would be to, you know, kind of whittle them down. And then I thought, because I am of an age where I am a lion in winter, I thought, what would be the songs that I will want people maybe to think about um, and give that gift? Not to think about me, but if I have to say, hey, you need to hear this, you need to see this, you need to read this, these would be three moments in time that kept reoccurring for me. And I would want them to have those feelings. What would 14-year-old Doug Malloy, uh, as a freshman at Fort Myers High School, or perhaps an eighth grader at Fort Myers Middle School, think of uh, who you are today? I think the 14-year-old guy would say, um, <laughs> he would say, lighten up, Francis. <laughs> um, it's a line. <laughs> it's a line from uh, Stripes. I know, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would say, "Lighten up, Francis." Um, and uh, you know, you've been given a lot of gifts. It's nice that you finally got around to thinking about them with some peace of mind. And uh, there's in our profession, there's always a meteor hurtling toward Earth. You're done with one accomplishment, and there's another meteor, and. I think I w he would remind me to stop and enjoy the wonderful things that I've been given. Let the butterfly land. Let the butterfly land. And don't go like this. Don't go brush it off your shoulder because you got stuff to do. It's there for you. Lighten huh. up, Francis. Oh, I love that. Um, <laughs> okay, we're pretty much here at the end. Um, three people you would recommend that we try to get on the show? Can you? Yeah. Um, I would recommend... A uh, uh, couple of people that would <laughs> um, try Chief Diggs. Um, I'm not really sure what his musicality would be, but I'd love to hear him talk about his three favorite songs. You put a good word in for us. We'd love to get uh, that. Well, um, I found the Chief um, that he is uh, oh, a very intelligent, wonderful human being, but... Um, I'm not really sure he'd be open to it. Uh, <laughs> um, um, he's got bigger things on his plate right now. Understood. Yeah. Uh, the other uh, person I'd choose, you already had Frank Mann on. Yeah. Because that would be the second one. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we might have him back. We yeah, might break the rule and Frank have him back. back. I mean, we have, we yeah. have Jeff Collins. <laughs> yeah. Have Frank back. Um, I'm sure that you know he'll take up as much mic time as I did. But um, let me give uh, the third. I'll tell you what. Um, the third would be someone 
that has uh, been a great force in the community. And I don't, I don't know if you've had him, uh, but he has law, law enforcement background and also in education. I don't know if you've had Marshall Bauer yet. No, we haven't. Marshall, I think, would be fantastic. He did great things when he was in law enforcement. He's doing great things in education now. And he's funny. And he's almost as funny as I am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when's, the last, when's the next time uh, Alter Ego is going to play? I mean, I know we're in this social distanced world. Are you guys we just got sort of on no idea. permanent hiatus? We got no idea. We uh, All the dates got, you know, got canceled, and it's a big band. So uh, when you have a band that sometimes uh, is that big, you have to have a venue that's that big, and I don't know how ready people are for that. Understood. Uh, okay, uh, uh, any songs you'll avoid listening to for some reason? Um, oh, you know, you could throw in achy, breaky, hard, and uh, Gangnam style, but... Uh, those are those are those you make are, it sound like that's so obvious. <laughs> yeah, like like that or that horrible laugh Bruce Springsteen does on his Christmas song. Um, uh, the worst fake laugh, laugh ever recorded. No, um, I'll tell you songs that I, I will stab myself in the eye with a pencil if I have to sing. Uh, oh well, no, now we're probably going to sing that one again too. So, um, what no. was it? <laughs> Um, it is a song that, uh, or songs, uh, that are always requested. Uh, um, that, uh, all right, let's we've been honest so far. I don't actually sing it. I do the backup on it, but, um, the song that goes, uh, Mustang Sally. Uh-huh. Um, it's, uh, and it's a beautiful song. People love it. I'm trying to backpedal my way out of that, but, um, You've reached a point when somebody requests Mustang Sally where you realize that they've only got about four or five good dance songs left in them, and then they're going to wander off the wedding or wander off the the venue that you're in. Or take over the congas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. If they were there, that would be the move. Uh, Mustang Sally now has congas. (laughs) uh, Thank you, Doug, so much for doing this. I'll see you at Publix. All right. I've loved it. Thanks. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and hosts sometimes. Christoph is his executive producer. Our theme song was made by Dave Dave, Dave Cowan, and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. Fly at night till we're satisfied. See the morning from the other side. This week's Party Tune, we're hearkening back one year to episode 66 with Canadian musician and adventurer David Newland. His second epic song story was about an adventure he had in the winter of 1988 with a good buddy involving hitchhiking through the Rocky Mountains and beer and a trucker named Bernie and avalanche zones and the Olympics. This is Fly at Night by the band Chilliwack from their 1977 album Dreams, Dreams, Dreams. Oh, and since last year, David has launched his own podcast that I really recommend called Goodness Knows. My most legendary hitchhiking trip of all wound up taking me to Chilliwack one time and uh, and so when whenever I hear whenever I hear that song or anything about that band it reminds me of walking along the roadside in Chilliwack in the rain in February in it at about 4 a.m. in the morning and there's that there's that great line in the song to see the morning from the other side which sounds so evocative and amazing you know like that's the 
that's like the romance of the rock and roll lifestyle or whatever. And this was the exact opposite of romantic. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. What are, what are some of the big differences between modern baseball and 1860s. 1860s baseball? Smaller gloves, I bet. No gloves. No gloves. Oh. <laughs> they had no gloves. Well, the ball, so they are smaller.